Hello and welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Fergus McCready. So pour a dram, sit back and relax. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to the start of a new Watford Jazz Junction podcast season. So much excitement and so many special guests coming your way in the next few weeks. But meanwhile, we hope you've been having a good summer wherever you spent it, and we hope all is well with you and yours wherever you're listening to us in the world. If you're a regular, it's lovely to have you back on board, and if you're a first-time listener, you're of course most welcome. If you like what you hear, do spread the word and share a link with a friend. Don't forget as well to visit watfordjazzjunction.com and find a link to watch and hear our fantastic free live show from the Emma Smith Quartet which we recorded back in spring and it's the only place where you can book tickets to see our upcoming gigs with the Chrissingham Quartet on the 30th of October with their wonderful and acclaimed Jazz of Dudley Moore show and then the Tony Kofi Quintet in the new year as they paint a portrait of Cannonball Adderley. Whoop whoop! Now today I am speaking with unarguably one of the UK's finest jazz piano talents to have emerged in recent years who's picked up more critical acclaim in a crazy short period of time than you can wag your finger to with the metronome set really high, including being a finalist in the 2018 BBC Young Musician of the Year jazz category, winner of the Parliamentary Jazz Awards album of the year for Targus, best instrumentalist in the 2020 Jazz Awards, and many others. Sideman, frontman, piano man, it can only be Fergus McCready. Fergus, hello, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, Chris. Hello. Nice to speak to you. Whereabouts in the world do I find you today, sir? You actually find me in my parents' house in Dollar um, due to... uh, Usually I'm staying in Glasgow, but due to some uh, car problems, I'm in the... um, I've got it dropped off in this kind of uh, home garage, so I'm in the countryside for now, Chris. Fantastic. So, Dollar, I mean, that has to be the coolest sounding hamlet in all of Scotland, if not the world. It's it's good, isn't it? Saying you're from Dollar, I've I've always liked it. Um, I when I was very little, when I was like five or six, I used to think that um, the American dollar came from this town. So I was very proud of my heritage. Sadly, that's not really the case. Though. But, <laughs> hey, listen, I'd, I'd put the rumor out there. No one would ever know. Yeah, true. Actually, if you just if you just cut out the bit where I say it's not true, then everyone everyone can think about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll just edit it. It is true. <laughs> um, now, moreover, um, having spoken about being a wee laddie, um, what was your path into music then from little? Was it as young as five or was it something that came came later? It was pretty young, yeah. I started playing when I was about seven, I think, but it wasn't really... I never really took it that seriously. It wasn't something that I... I, mean, I liked doing it and I, I wanted to be good, I think, but I didn't have the patience to practice or really the the complete knowledge of how of that that actually you needed to practice i always just thought it was just um just something you had or you didn't have or whatever which is completely untrue anyone can be a, a really good musician um but it wasn't until i was think 12 or 13 i heard um i heard a jazz piano uh player who later became my teacher actually i heard uh, him playing um at this kind of summer course randomly or whatever and then that was that was literally it really um almost like a kind of flick of the switch and then from then on it was like uh just my like kind of overall goal i think and he he used to say oh you need to practice all the time so i practiced all the time um and yeah that kind of led to doing the kind of youth stuff and then it led to doing the rcs and it's that's all kind of led to here 
unbelievable. So we need to give a name check to your piano teacher back in the day. Who was yeah. it? Yeah. So I, the, my my very very original inspiration was a guy called Richard Michael. Um, but yeah, that absolutely deserves a name check. There's so many um, sort of random Scottish musicians dotted about the United Kingdom that have him to thank for the original inspiration. He kind of operated in uh, Fife, which is very which is very close to where I'm from, in Dollar, and he ran uh, this thing called the Fife Youth Jazz Orchestra. Uh, which I would go to every week, and um, I had other like really really great piano teachers as well, like like Ewan Stevenson and Paul Harrison and people like that. But he was the he was the first one I think to kind of go, kind of make me really do, I don't know to provide that kind of keenness and inspiration. I don't think I would have been as keen had it not been for had it not been for him. So, yeah, I think it's so important. Um, it's very rare in my experience that you speak to a jazz musician who hasn't had a young inspiration you know a young run-in mm. with someone really inspirational who's just you know kept pushing the the love and excitement of it and and you know then ambitions can be kindled etc but uh yeah nice one mr michael yeah um, absolutely so, <laughs> so what was it about the piano then did you ever flirt with other instruments or it's always been a you've always been a piano guy well interestingly i have flirted with a couple of instruments i i played my mum used to be a clarinet player actually I, I believe she actually played on tv but i'm not entirely i'd have to i'd have to ask her um but i think she was very good at clarinet back in the day and uh so i played a bit of that um i dabbled with bagpipes in school as well because the school i went to was had a, a championship pipe band um, that's what we're looking for we love bagpipe talk yeah yeah absolutely absolutely not 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 similar to the piano at all um <laughs> and then in college you do like you know i did like some drum lessons and some bass lessons or whatever but i i, I can't emphasize how how bad i am at all these other <laughs> instruments um <laughs> so it's always i think it's always kind of been piano for me it took me long enough to like actually get good at that so the effort to do other instruments is too much but um in terms of what it is about piano i just think i don't know for me it's really easy i just love how it's so flexible you can play so many different kind of things on it um like when i'm when i practice you know i'll practice some jazz and then i'll like practice some classicals and chopin or whatever and practice some old scottish folk tunes like it can do all of those and more um, and I think when I was young, being able to like, you know, as maybe like a slightly shyer child or whatever, because I was able to just kind of disappear into the piano and play that uh, like by myself for hours and hours or whatever. I don't know. I think that the the solitary nature of it and the versatility of it is really what appealed to me so much. And now I've obviously I play it in a very social music. Um, but I think that I would describe that about jazz piano as being what attracted me to it. That's a really, really fascinating insight and answer. The um, So at the top of the show, I was saying that you've won lots of awards and things. Um, and I actually watched you receiving one of them, the Parliamentary Jazz Award, um, a couple of years back, somewhere oh, swanky-ish. Wow. It's, it's in Hoban, from memory. Anyway, I can't mm, really remember yeah. properly. Um, but I remember you sort of stepping up. Um, and the reason I really remember it is because you seemed so perfectly modest in receipt. I mean, I genuinely, I'd have been like, whoop, whoop, thank you to my friends, my family, my yeah. gym trainer, you know, all of that. But you yeah. you sort of took it in your stride, but not in a sort of, you know, a sumptive or arrogant fashion. You just seemed really like, oh, that's really great. I mean, what do you make of jazz awards and, and sort of, do they have much influence on you? I mean, I'm just it's sort of, I know it's a random question, but I'm just sort of interested in how they factor into your, your professional experience. That's a really interesting question, actually. Um, I think I have a, a sort of have a mixed view of them, if I'm honest. Um, Ooh, come on, this could be the end of your, your uh, awards career. Be the end of an award again. <laughs> no, no. 
I've been really, really lucky to like great, get some amazing exposure from these um, awards. And I think, you know, I can I can only thank like the Parliamentary Jazz Awards and the Scottish Jazz Awards so much for like kind of everything they've done for me. But I mean, I did I did a lot of competitions uh, when I was younger as well. I did the Young Scottish Jazz Musician a number of times. And I obviously, as you mentioned, did the BBC Young Jazz Musician too. Um, and it was uh, twenty one. I want to say maybe twenty. That uh, did did Zosa Cole win? I can't remember. That's that's the, I was in it the year Zosa Cole, and that was a that year had like all, anyone could have won it that year. I know that's yeah, a cliche, mental, but I genuinely right? do think that that was a really good lineup of musicians. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, sorry, yeah, <laughs> interrupt you offload. No, no, it's fine. I just um, comp- I think competitions. I think awards and competitions are kind of different beasts um, mm. and awards can be such a nice even with nominations and if it's like a nice vibe with like a big room full of musicians or whatever it's like an excuse for everyone I almost view them more as of an excuse for everyone to get together and, and almost celebrate the whole um, music itself and the scene itself rather than just focusing on like individual people in a way so the more award ceremonies are um, are like that I think the better actually I particularly recall the last time I attended the scottish jazz awards in 2019 it was it was really really like that i think the entire scene was there almost at least people who are in my uh, age bracket maybe or whatever and that was just really nice to have that um everyone kind of coalesced into one almost in a way now listen i don't, I don't want to play these things off but it's a scottish jazz award ceremony uh different from a from a from an english jazz award ceremony huh, interesting <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, there's a lot more Scottish accents at the Scottish Jazz Awards, I think. Well, as you'd um, expect. <laughs> but I, th- I think otherwise they're kind of similar, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of similar thing, like nice, like having bands play and stuff like that. What I liked about the Scottish Jazz Awards thing as well, actually, is I think they had a lot of the previous winners um, playing, like, uh, so it was almost like a sort of, as well as like obviously presenting awards, there was like a lot of like gig, it's almost like a, a gig sort of in a way you're watching a lot of people play, which I really liked. Um, but then that's not to discredit the Parliamentary Jazz Awards at all either. They're absolutely fine. No, no. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think competi- competitions, I think I feel slightly different about now that I've done a few of them and now that I've observed like other ones or whatever. And I think I just, maybe I haven't quite made my mind up, but I think it it, it isn't necessarily, it doesn't, it's not conducive. You know, no one plays um, that well in a competition it's not really a realistic environment to judge any musician because it's so much pressure um but then uh saying again obviously like uh, they do have their benefits as well again for exposure for people who are um good at that kind of thing i don't know yeah i have like a mixed i really have a mixed view about these kind of things yeah totally get it i think we'll leave that hanging in the balance then and uh i think others can can make up their minds as well (laughs) so i'm interested in sort of what drives you um there's an absolute sense of, I don't know, uh, your background in the songs that you write that I've listened to. Um, and that may be because I spent a lot of time in my childhood in the Highlands of Scotland on my holidays. Hmm. Um, but there's something really distinct, and I can't nail it at all. I've been thinking about it, about the tunes you write and somehow reflecting the beauty. And beauty isn't the right word either, but the something of the mountains, the locks, and even just the air. And I totally, totally get it. And you're playing... Sure. And, and your work, to me, paints a very intimate uh, and immediate sense of place. How, how do you relate yourself to the world in which you grew up? And do you still find it's inspiring you today? It's a hard thing to de- to describe, actually, if, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, I still think that, that that's very much what inspires me, uh, at least writing-wise, is um, being kind of 
outdoors and in like in the in the countryside basically or in the hills or whatever um yeah. so i went i this year i've actually been trying to do a lot more monroe bagging that is like hills over three thousand feet or whatever um so i did two the other day and uh I, even like coming back from that i felt a lot more fresh a lot more inspired like than i love being in the city obviously but there's something that's really immediately in, inspiring about being outdoors i think which i think a lot of people find do, do you bump um, into people when you're Mon- monroe bagging or when you're out and about or is it deliberate that you you are you are in your own company or you know with your partner or whatever I think I deliberately, deliberately, usually I go with like someone else because it's a bit more right. fun than just doing it. I've done some myself as well, but um, it's more fun if you can just have like someone to uh, chat to while you're doing it or whatever. Um, I love it. But uh, I mean, in, in terms of like bumping into strangers, it just depends. If you do the popular ones, obviously you'll see a lot of other people. Uh, but we did, uh, we did one which was really obscure uh, the other day, and that was. Um, I was completely silent. There was literally no one else apart from us and like the sheep or whatever. So that was yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, but anyway, going back to the music. Sorry, thing, yeah. I, yeah, no, no, that's all right. <laughs> I think what I try, almost trying to, I think it's not, it's just, it's not in, an, not in an arrogant way. It's just not something I have to think about too much, I think. Um, mm. There's sounds, there's just through like sitting and like trying to find the sounds on the piano and the sounds, the harmony and the rhythms that actually make me feel a certain way. I think once I've found them, that seems to be stuff that is reminiscent of um, of the like Scottish wildlife. And I think that is because what uh, that's what moves me in a way. Um, you know, I'm trying to always find sounds, whether it's like you know, it's it's an exciting kind of tune or it's like a slow tune or a dramatic, you know, whatever. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. I'm always trying to find these sounds that move me in a certain way. And I think um, I've always been excited by like things that sound like a certain kind of place or a certain time or whatever. That's the thing. Mm. That's why, honestly, I think wonder if that's why I fell in love with jazz so much is because a lot of the old stuff, which is what I got really into, really sounds like it's it's era and it's time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Like, like listening to Charlie Parker and stuff like that, that's very much uh that's very much of its period so checking out lots of that and then checking out loads of like, classical music and stuff stuff that really sounds like other places what gets me excited about music i think so i think it just has has happened in that way that because i'm scottish and i come from um you know outside of a city or whatever that's what that's what makes me excited and that's kind of what comes through in the in the music have you, have you ever read nan shepherd's uh, the living mountain do you know that book I don't know that book at all, actually. No. Oh, you'd love it. I might send you a copy. Um, it's oh, a, it's do. a really good book about um, uh, a lady who who lived alone. I think really largely all her life, but she wrote this series of of, of essays almost. And she wasn't uh, a classically educated uh, woman at all, but her writing just captures the sort of visceral day to day nature of just walking in the Scottish mountains. And wow. I'm not sure that book would have been the same if she'd written it more to like critical acclaim at the time, sure. um, because she'd have been somehow like an ambassador for, for, for the area, whereas, of course, it's a deeply personal encounter. I think the reason for asking that is once you get known for for representing an area or a region and, and you know, in, in your space, you know, uh, the Scottish uh, wildlife, etc. Do you think it then adds a pressure to somehow move away from that deeply personal experience to something that you think others might 
might like or are you always able to be faithful to your to your inner self it's a really it's a really good question actually i think um hold on did you hear that podcast listeners uh, chris <laughs> asked a really good question chris asked an absolute belter <laughs> of a question um i think what i think always as a musician i want to do what's what's personally motivating me i think what makes what makes you what makes that not to get too like teachery or whatever but i think what connects a musician to an audience is when the musician is doing what's authentic and what they kind of believe in if you really believe in what you're playing then the audience will believe in it too and then if people don't like it that's fine at least you're doing what's genuine yeah Um, yeah and i think honestly so far my lived experience has been that the more people have like picked up on the the music um Mm kind of it hasn't changed my perspective of still really wanting to play in that way that's kind of what excites me um but then again i do sometimes i do sometimes wonder just playing like devil's advocate or whatever it could be interesting to i don't know maybe if that say say if like on the random chance that this kind of trio thing like kind of where to like randomly take off or and that's what i became known for i would probably want to try and do something that was more left field that was unexpected in a way so yeah I think, yeah i think uh that's that as soon as it becomes like expected that i kind of appear in a certain or sound a certain way i would want to kind of try and um reverse that or whatever i like do maybe i would do like a an album of standards or an album of, of chopin or you know so on so on or whatever yeah. um so i think i think for now yeah definitely um enthused and i still want to play in this like certain way and like communicate this um, personal thing but then if it came to the point that it became just routine and stale I would change I think is of what course. I mean. So that, that, that's making me think of something else then you, you're as comfortable to my ears anyway having heard you in a couple of sort of environments and leading your own vibe as you are playing with others so my question is do you approach solo playing or you know with your trio uh, in the same way that you do when you're more in a, a sort of sideman role as part of a bigger setup or you know someone else is the lead is there a sort of mental switch that you turn on or off or is it you know this is just straight Fergus you, you, you take me as I am I think usually what I kind of try and equate it to is um this might sound bad but I very much mean it in a in a good way is that um I like to I like to try and it's almost like playing a slight part depending on where I'm playing and so like my own bands that's just me being myself or whatever um whereas like playing so let's take uh playing this band called uh strata like by a really good friend of mine a really great musician called graham costello um and that's 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 like as different from the trio almost as it could be um so what i do what i've done for that band to kind of feel natural in it is i've like listened to a lot of the music that graham likes kind of talked to him a lot about just like listen to him when he talks about like what inspires him or whatever um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and used a lot of the stuff he's written as like practice material for myself um so it becomes more and more intuitive rather than just like so if i want to fit into his vibe i don't really have to think about it i can just kind of do it basically um so yeah i think there is a mindset switch but all the time i'm trying to make it so that i don't have to think about what i'm playing um i think if i can really know the context of the music i'm playing whether that's like really old style of stuff or whether it's new stuff that someone else has written 
um, then I can just like forget about it and still kind of remain myself, but do what is right for the music. I think all the time, that's always my like key consideration, yeah, whatever yeah. I'm playing in, whether it's my own stuff or other people's stuff is that, you know, what's, um, what's the right thing for the music? How can I service the music rather than service my own, um, wishes or whatever and it doesn't always quite work out that way but um when it does that's when it's that's when music sounds really nice i think now mm. I, <laughs> I want to ask you more about your latest album ken okay um which to my mind and i, I presume yours seems to have really built on targus uh both of both of these albums by the way i'll, I'll link in the in the program notes with the podcast um and that to me the reason why i see they're they're congruous or you know sort of good successes and predecessors etc is that they keep the same sense of emotional intimacy what i want to know about ken is a little bit about the journey but but also what was it like releasing something that was so emotional during lockdown so well in terms of the journey how the album came together it was yeah. really different from Churras because in the first Oh my album, god, I keep calling it Targus. Oh, that's okay. No, 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 it's all right. It's, a, Churras. it's, not, a, it's not an English word. It's like a Gaelic word. It's fine. Churras. Thank you very much. Um, Churras. We got Churras. it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Journey in Gaelic. Um, the, the way I kind of wrote the music for that, I kind of wrote it all in a really concise period of time. Um, and it was all written together, like it's almost conceived as one thing. Yeah. Um, whereas Karen is more interesting. That's got some tunes that were written pretty close to the recording session, but also some tunes that were in like years before the recording. And it was kind of an amalgamation of stuff. We'd just been leading up to that recording. We'd been doing really a lot of gigs, which feels kind of really foreign to say now. Yeah. But we'd been doing a lot of gigs and um, kind of by that, by doing all that, we'd kind of learned all these kind of tunes really um deeply so that recording um that was really nice in a way because we could kind of play almost without thinking about it because we'd played the tunes live so 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 much um in terms of releasing it though i know it was really strange almost felt like i didn't release it in a way um because i didn't get to like uh you know give it to really anyone in person or play the music to any real people or kind of anything like that really um I know it's a hard thing to describe, but I think I would just, that's kind of all I could say about it is that it felt very, um, felt like it, it didn't happen in a way, which sounds sad. Obviously, it was still nice to release it and all. And it got yeah. some really nice press, which I was really pleased with. But I would have really, really, really liked to play that. I think as much as I like playing in studios, I think playing live is what I like the most. And it would have been so nice to give that music to other other people in the flesh you know but yeah uh, that's coming back slowly i think i was so. gonna say hopefully there's plenty of opportunities um mm. right uh it is time for my special mccready quiz okay it's called fergus's fabulous five frippery questions fandango are okay. you ready i'm very ready i like the alliteration a lot <laughs> well thank you very much um right question one grand piano fancy synth or I'll take all the analog and digital keys you've got and give me the full Herbie Hancock. Oh, grand piano, there is absolutely no question. Um, re reason being, I definitely think I'm very much an acoustic player rather than an electric player. I do play electric in some bands, but yeah, grand piano, that's a really easy one. Bam. Question two, <laughs> whiskey straight or whiskey sour? 
Oh, whiskey straight. There's yeah, no whiskey. Sorry. I'm almost whiskey embarrassed straight. to ask. You. Uh, no, no, yeah. I always, <laughs> I always take my whiskey. Some people take their whiskey with water because they think it tastes oh. better. But those people, those people are wrong. Whiskey straight. <laughs> Question three: A dip in the loch or a trip up the mountain? Oh, um, that's harder. I think a trip up the mountain just because that's what I'm done the most of. But I've been doing some uh, lochs swimming recently as well, so. Both ideally, but trip up the mountain if I have to choose. Uh, just going to quickly tally up. You're on seventeen. If I divide that by the integer, yes, you're 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 the sort of midpoint session of having all forty six ish at the minute. Okay, question four out of five: Ronnie Scotts or Scotts porridge oats? <laughs> well, it depends on the time of day, doesn't it? Let's say Ronnie Scotts is a loyal British jazz musician. I'll say that. Good answer. Um, and finally. Bill Evans, Errol Garner, or someone I haven't thought about. Let's go for let's go for Bill Evans because that was a that was a pretty. For, I did spend a lot of time, a lot of my um, childhood with Bill. So yeah, let's yeah, say Bill Evans. You can definitely hear it in your in your in your style. <laughs> so right, you you've passed the quiz. As I say, if I now carry that over and if I <laughs> multiply that, you, I actually think you got full marks, Fergus, which is oh, very wow. impressive. So nice. that puts you at the absolute top of the leaderboard for the <laughs> Fergus's fabulous five frippery questions fandango. Well done. Oh, well, amazing. I didn't even realise I was getting marked, but happy days. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would have oh, studied throughout. if I realised it was going to be uh, a marked quiz. But... Oh, no, I've got a team of three people here marking it, and they're all nodding to say you, you did really well. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, great. Good. Happy days. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll let them back down now. You can go now. Right, <laughs> my set question for you, Fergus, and it's about space and spacing. How much time do you invest in finding uh, musical space for pausing? And that covers both whilst you're playing and whilst you're in the period of composition. Uh, interesting question. So I think while I'm playing, in terms of space, I'm always trying to do stuff. I'm trying to hear what I play before I play it, if that makes sense. Because I think if you just if you just let your fingers go randomly... Um, then you're not going to like, then you're just going to miss out on actual ideas forming in your head. So I'm always trying to leave space um, when I'm playing just to be able to think about what's kind of coming next. Sometimes mm. I even I even kind of try and think of playing classical music in that way if I'm playing that, um, you know, if I come to the end of a phrase, like leaving a bit of a pause to really hear the next phrase, I think is absolutely, is absolutely the best thing to do. Yes. If you want to like, um, if you want to play it like as as beautifully and as like personally as you kind of can, so when I'm improvising, absolutely, I'm always trying to leave space for my brain. As soon as I think the brain starts to get confused, you kind of need yeah. to let your brain sort of relax, and then you can sort of keep adding stuff. Um, I mean, speaking of Bill Evans, actually, he used to describe it as you don't want to build confusion on top of confusion because then you just have a big pile of of rubbish. You want to um, you want to build like kind of uh, clarity and simplicity on top of each other and then that's when you can kind of get some form of complexity but there has to be a, a kind of control at the bottom of it um yeah, so that's yeah, kind of yeah. how i would view leaving space anyway in terms of composing honestly mm. i'm a really skittish composer um i probably like have a week of like writing loads of tunes and then about yeah. six months off of not writing at all so i would say i would say <laughs> i mean leaving space for composing I just compose when I feel like it, to be honest. Or when I have to compose, I kind of maybe force myself. But most of the time, 
it's just just when i feel like writing i think uh, so yeah. that can that can lead to leaving a lot of t- a lot of time between writing sessions but yeah 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 so just on that final point do you do you aim to sort of create an album and go right this is my period of time to do it or do you just go if an album's going to come it will come in its own way and then you know next week or two years later you might have a, like a real surge yeah i think um usually i mean all all the times i recorded an album actually um have recently have just recently recorded a third album as well which is uh potentially on its way next year um so for all three recording projects i think i've known that they're coming and i've yeah. either th- and i've just i think if, i usually i try and just spend a bunch of time thinking about the kind of set list really deeply of the of the album um and then if i have some tunes ready i'll kind of try and place them in and then think okay what kind of tune could go nicely here what yeah, kind of yeah. tune could fit there and then i'll then that actually usually provides um, some kind of context for writing a new thing. I think the hardest thing actually is to write something um, completely out of the blue. Wherever is it? Whereas if I have a specific, um, like category, I want to fill with a type of tune that makes it much much easier. So mm-hmm. yeah, usually if an album, usually if an album recording is coming up, uh, there is still probably some writing to be done. But it generally depend generally tends to be kind of. Um, like fitting it all, fitting it all together nicely. I mean, this this third album, interestingly enough, I wrote it all in lockdown in the space of a couple of weeks, and then I just kind of had it sitting there for ages. So interesting. Right, it is top three album time, Fergus McCready. <laughs> what albums or indeed tracks do you go back to again and again? So let's. Uh, so the one I always go back to the most. Um, the one that is, I think, the most important to me is uh, an album by Keith Jarrett. It's called the the Vienna Concert, um, and it's just one of his improvised concerts. But I mean, he himself would even say, I think that's his favorite one or one of his favorite ones. And it's just so it's so beautiful, like the way he, it's just completely so natural and everything blends together so well. And I just think it's like such an amazing achievement. It's really, 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 really cool. Yeah. Concur. I like that album a lot. We've got it locked in. Okay, you've got space for two more. Two more. I'm going to say um, 8081 by Pat Metheny. I also really, really like. Um, I think that was maybe the first time I'd been able to sort of say, I've sort of go, oh, um, here's like someone blending folk music very like explicitly with jazz. And I thought that was really, mm. really, really cool. Um, especially sort of the um first track and the last two tracks of that album i just i just think they're some of my favorite things ever um they've been really sort of super influential to me and then for my third album i'm gonna go non-jazz i'm gonna pick uh the first uh album by the gloaming just self-titled the gloaming which is an irish traditional band and that was my first that was my first even though i'd been exposed to so much traditional music from like a really young age or whatever that was my very first time hearing um just like being given an album to specifically like listen to and i listened to it over and over and over and over again i really rinsed it um Ooh. so that i've album... never heard i've never heard of the gloaming how am i spelling that g-l-o-a-m-i-n-g yeah not many yeah that's exactly it not many people have heard of them um in the jazz sphere anyway obviously all my like folk friends or whatever know them very well um but yeah they're just uh that's that's, that's like such an amazing band that's like really really cool cool music and i think they very much this kind of uh intimate 
vibe which I really like in music. They very, very, very much have that. So, uh, yeah, the gloaming. That's a really cool nice. One. Well, we've 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 got it. That's a nice little trio: Keith Jarrett, Pat Metheny, and the gloaming. Yeah. We will check them all out. And again, uh, links will be in the program notes. <laughs> so finally, uh, it is time to introduce you to our Watford Jazz Junction podcast, Fantasy House Band. Now, okay. the last person to sort it out was Shree at the end of season five. Uh, and that was at a point where we'd grown from an, an initial seven musicians to 14. And I was hopeful that he'd get the numbers down since Duke Ellington, Dizzy Gillespie and all manner of other players were straining our limited finances. But, in the words of one listener and a friend of Shree, I quote, If you're going to reset the band, Chris, don't ask a complete nutter. (laughs) End of quote. So, our current house band is this. John Bonham, drums. Abehart Weber, bass. John Hassel, on trumpet. And then, the entire Count Basie Orchestra. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) my, my question, or potentially your reward, Fergus... You can add to, you can mix, or you can remove entire orchestras from the podium. Who else would you like to add to our lovely house band? Okay, so John Bonham, Eberhard Weber, that combination's already absolutely hilarious. Um, And then the Count Basie Orchestra. With John Hassel on trumpet. Yeah, John Hassel on trumpet. Um... You're, you're, let's, let's make it even more mental. You're lacking some good traditional musicians in there. Uh, let's add in, uh, Martin Hayes, who's a, who's an Irish fiddler. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, um, Aidan O'Rourke, who's a Scottish fiddler. Uh, might as well just make it more ridiculous. <laughs> so I've now got two, 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 two violinists uh, added to my already insane podium. I thank you, though, because uh, maybe this is the direction for Series 6. We're loving it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Most finally, Fergus, what opportunities are there to hear you um, this coming autumn? And and what plans have you got? I believe, actually, we have quite a few gigs set up um, kind of around uh, Scotland and England. Brilliant. This coming... Uh, this coming sort of September, October, November. Yeah, yeah. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember all like all where exactly where they are, but they're going to go up on my website soon. Um, ah, so, so how just, do we find that? Is it? For... Uh, just just type in FergusMcCready.co.uk, I think, and it'll just come Brilliant. up. Brilliant. Um, so just keep an eye out for that, and um, yeah, hopefully restrictions permitting, we can get out there and play to a lot more uh, real people. Awesome. We will be at the front of the queue. Amazing. So. If you've liked what you've listened to, don't forget to subscribe, for else you might miss an episode. And maybe recommend the show to a friend. Every listener helps us keep jazz on the map. Uh, And if you want to know more about the Watford Jazz Junction, check out our website, I said at the top of the show, thewatfordjazzjunction.com, or follow us on our various social media, which now includes TikTok. Email us at jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com if there's uh, someone you'd like us to chat with, or there's a topic you'd like us to explore. Next time, we are in conversation with a very spiritual and engaging musician and singer, Ruhangis. So, that just leaves me to say goodbye, lovely listener. It's goodbye, the lovely Fergus. Goodbye. Thank you. And stay safe and always remember to connect with something new. Bye. <laughs>